The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, I'm really happy to be here, seeing all of you again and again, all the years. And I just wanted to add to what uh, Mark said is that uh, about my teaching. One of my favorite times of teaching is teaching with Mark. So uh, we're now teaching partners at IMS uh, almost every year, I think, and sometimes twice a year. And so it's a great honor for me. And uh, he's a really beloved teacher at IMS. So I'm really proud to teach with you there, Mark. Yeah. And so I was telling the group that I was uh, with just this past week and nine days that Minnesota is a really important place for me. I just remember many years ago, that was in 1994, when we were in the car with Steve Burt, you and I, and, and Steve and I, Armstrong and I, and you invited us to teach here. And so I was kind of concerned because I, it, even then it was a kind of a heavy teaching. Uh, having, hello... Okay, a heavy, that's okay, that's fine, Um, heavy teaching schedule. But I said yes because my father was born here. And so it's a a really important place for me to to be, and I did this to um, offer the merit of my teaching to to my father also, who I didn't know very well. And... um, I'm proud to say that I come from Minnesota stock. <laughs> I really am. And I'm, I'm one of the, um, you know, where the, where the women are strong, and I'm really strong. <laughs> and the men are good looking, yeah, like Mark. <laughs> so it's really, um, it's really a great honor to, to be here with all of you. And tonight I'd like to speak about patience the power of patience, because I know that it's not a a Dharma talk that gets a lot of light, that gets a lot of energy. And it's so important in our daily lives, and it's so important in our life on the cushion, and uh, I think it needs just more airtime. So this is what I'm giving it tonight. So this is my talk on patience. And, and do we have an hour, Mark? What? Okay. All right. So in the ever-deepening and awakening of the Dharma in our hearts, there are so many uh, qualities that we can learn to uh, bring into our hearts and minds and incline our energy towards that are, in, are an enduring place of strength for us and that really help us to get through our lives. It's something so basic that we often underestimate its power. But I I must say that every time I give this talk, I get the most feedback from the group that that was the most important talk for them or, uh, you know, any place that I'm at because I think it's it's not um, given as much attention as it should. So at the beginning of my practice, I became very interested when I was learning about those beautiful qualities of heart and mind. Uh, that really help us kind of get, as they say, to the other shore, you know, from the shore of suffering to the shore of liberation. And there are ten paramis, ten beautiful qualities, ten virtuous qualities. 
and one of them is patience. And it's said that patience actually matures all of the other qualities, the qualities like generosity and loving kindness, resolve, perseverance, equanimity, renunciation, wisdom, truthfulness, to name just a few. So patience really uh, matures the rest of them, strengthens all of the rest of them. And it's because also um, my mother gave me that name when I was born. My, my name Kamala comes from my first Dhamma teacher. So I, I kept that name too as an everyday name. And patience or paciencia in, in Spanish or Filipino also is my birth name. And so also in honor of my mother, I, I wanted to um, give this talk. I think she named me that because she knew what my life was going to be. So, <laughs> and all of us indeed, you know, we, we could say that probably for ourselves. So <clears throat> it's good to bring it in forth and give it the nourishment of wise attention. So that's what I'm doing. I want it to play a really spontaneously active part of our lives. And every time I offer the talk, I know I get a little bit more myself, a little more reminder myself about that it's important to pay attention to that. So it gives us that gentle, persevering energy of endurance, endurance. So I want to name some of the qualities that patience helps us to, um, to nurture, other qualities of mind. Endurance is one of them. It's not only to remember to stay open to the ever-present changing moment, which is what we learn in intensive retreat and also uh, we bring into our daily lives so that it's a powerful force for us to have endurance in our practice. It's one of the things we often forget to do, you know, when we're sitting on the cushion or we're with people that it's really hard to be with or with a task that's really hard to be with. And we're not quite at patience yet. You know, that kind of simple, steady, very calm place of our hearts and minds. But we're really just kind of trying to hold it together a little bit. And that's what happens a lot on the cushion and in our daily lives. And when we have just a little bit of patience, it helps us to endure. That is one of the, my most frequent notes that silent mental notations that we make is enduring enduring and it's just like the precursor in a way to patience and then when patience starts to seep a little bit into it the endurance becomes just complete com patience so it also maintains a quiet inner faith to keep our practice moving in the direction of our highest potential because um we do, each one of us has a kind of aspiration to be uh, in a place that mm, has more inner strength, has more ability to be with what is, to take the next step, to, to go, to take that far away look and say, it seems so far to get to that top of the mountain or wherever it is, whatever the aspiration is, but I know I can do it. And to have that moment in that present moment when you're kind of still far away, but you can look at the far off, the far reaching aspiration and say, I'm going to get there. I'm really going to get there. 
So, you know, this, um, I remember hearing in one of the Dhamma talks when I was a, um, a yogi, yogi, I'm, many times I'm a yogi, and every year I'm a yogi. That means practitioner just like yourselves. I remember this, uh, the first step depends on the last, and the last step depends on the first. So that means, you know, we really have to kind of, it's not just about being in the present moment. It's also about having the, the far-reaching goal for ourselves that maybe we'd like to mature all of those qualities, those beautiful qualities of the mind and the heart. Or maybe we'd like to be present more of the time. And so it, it may not be so far off. It may be just in this moment. But when we can take the next step, that's really our, our way to be able to uh, get to that far-reaching aspiration that we may have in our hearts. It also gives us gentleness because so much of the time we're tr- striving, we're trying too hard to kind of get to some goal. That's why I like to use the word aspiration because goal is someplace that's kind of finite and it's just right there. But really it's the the journey, the whole journey on the way is that it's kind of like um, one step at a time and every time you get to the next step you see a new horizon. And really our journey is just in a way never ending because there's always, always so much more to learn and to grow into. So it gives us that gentleness that we need and that clarity of purpose that we need so much in our practice. It's not kind of like this blurry, namsy-pamsy, okay, you know, this looks good, I'll, I'll try it. But we really have a clarity of purpose and we can use patience to um, kind of refine that clarity sometimes. To face every single inner and outer obstacle and relate to it as an opportunity for greater wisdom. So it's not just about uh, being present. I love what one of our teachers, Utejaniya, says, that um, it's not enough to just be present. We need wisdom. We need to uh, gain wisdom with each present moment, really deepen into what the present moment is showing us, uh, which is wisdom, and then uh, integrate that wisdom into our lives. So relating that gentleness to be able to kind of settle into, to relax into that uh, possibility of being so present that it opens to that wisdom of seeing deeply into the nature of life and then coming to live in alignment with that nature. So it's this inner growth that it allows us to have, whether it be in the upheavals of our daily life, or the inner and outer journeys that we have, the inner journeys on retreat, the outer journeys of life. So for a number of people in our Western culture, patience is regarded as a weakness. Like, you know, uh, okay, let's just be patient as these other things happen that we don't want to happen. But actually, it's a strength. In, In a lot of countries, indigenous tribes all over the world and um, a lot of Buddhist countries, patience is considered a real power place in our lives as human beings. It's a strength. 
It's a quiet, reserved, humble quality. It's very unassuming. But people who have patience are really, y- you just really feel their, their ability to just be with things as they are. It's like they've got roots growing into the ground. And it's like they're, you know, the light above them is reaching up to the heavens. And so it, it feels like a real grounded place and also a, a place that you're really connected with your highest aspiration. So in spiritual circles, it's so respected and highly regarded that there's often this saying that we get in Burma when people, uh, our teachers are rather, um, are seeing that we need more patience. They, they say in Burmese or in Pali or in English, patience is the supreme virtue. Of all the virtuous qualities that we could have, patience is the supreme one. So <clears throat> here's something from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, which uh, I love about patience. When it is said that one should be patient and withstand trouble, that doesn't mean that one should be defeated or overcome. The very purpose of engaging in the principle of patience is to become stronger in mind. And also you want to remain calm. In that atmosphere of calm, you can have wisdom. If you lose patience, if your mind flounders by emotions, then you've lost the power to see clearly. But if you're patient, then you don't have to lose strength of mind. You even increase your strength. So it's a very powerful quality in many uh, places of the world, the older cultures. So Mahasi Sayadaw, our grandfather teacher, the, the teacher of, of our lineage, has said that the strength capable of preventing hatred, resembling the force of an army, able to defeat the enemy, is patience. It's such a strong force. So every time uh, when my own teacher, one of my teachers, Sayadaw Upandita in Burma, recently passed away, by the way, a couple of months ago. Uh, He had a good life and passed away at at his mid-90s. So he always encourages continuity of mindfulness. He's kind of known for his, like, you know, strong effort. But the kind of effort he's talking about is gentle, persevering effort, not this kind of you know, big push. Yes, you have to have that sometimes, but really it's more continuity. And this is in our daily lives, you know, just the continuity of being patient with things that happen to us every day, just being open to like the next step or the next moment of difficulty or the next moment of joy that comes. And just being having the ability to be with what happens. So sometimes he would see that there would be an imbalance in my practice where I'd kind of, you could see it when you walked, when anybody walked in the door um, to give a report to him. Sometimes the whole reporting that you would give is how you would walk in the, in the door and how you would come uh, to where he was seated and do your bows. So if you, did, if you walked in too quickly and you're kind of leaning into the future, he would know it. And if you kind of gave your bows too quickly or 
you weren't exactly patient uh, with yourself or really mindful, your whole um, interview would be just getting up again after he said, try again. <laughs> You'd have to get up to the, again, go back to the door, walk mindfully, turn around mindfully, and come back again and do your bows. And that would be it. That would be the end of your interview. Just really noticing how present you could be with that power of patience with every step and mindfulness. But when he thought that you weren't doing that and you were walking in, he would chant something to you. So um, I would hear, I think I must have heard this chant at least five times in my whole time with him, which isn't too much actually because he was my teacher for 30 years until he died. But I would hear this chant, Kanti Paramam Tapo Titika. And then I knew, I know the word Kanti means patience, so I knew he was saying, just be patient, just be patient. And so this one time I was walking in, and he, he kind of knows your mind more than you do. And so <laughs> um, he, I think he knew that I was going to come in and I was going to say, I'm going home. Because that was was on my mind. I was going to report to him that I've had enough. I'm rolling up the mat. I can't do it anymore. I'm going home. So he started chanting this. And uh, this patience is a supreme devotion. Or patience is the highest virtue. Sometimes uh, they say it like it's the noblest austerity. Because you have to give up rushing. Austerity means, you know kind of um, renunciation. And you have to give up rushing when you're patient or trying to get what you want because you don't have it then. So for 30 years that I've known him, I found him very sensitive to this energy. And he would, he would say patience many, many times as a kind of admonition to us. So during one of my personal retreats um, a few years ago at the Forest Refuge where um, I have gone a few times to do my personal retreat time in the year, I recognized at that retreat that in the very beginning I was having this kind of, I should be somewhere else. You know, I should be a little further along than I am right now. I should have gotten more calm. And I was really kind of leaning more into the future and wanting it to be, you know, like two weeks I was in instead of like three days or something. And we can tell that we're impatient in our practice when we're judging ourselves or comparing ourselves to others or criticizing our own practice or we're just grumpy. So whenever that is in our lives or on the, on the cushion when we're practicing, we know that some impatience is there. So I started recognizing those manifestations of impatience and um, wanting to sort of see what I could do to help myself so that I would just be able to stay with whatever was happening and do the sitting and the walking that I needed to do. So I'd hear Sayada Upandita's voice, you know, patience is the highest virtue. It would come to me a lot. And so... It, it was a very gentle voice. He, he's been known to be a very hard taskmaster, but really underneath that, he has 
like this mind of and heart of compassion. He has so much compassion that he just wants you to do your best and is asking you to kind of go to the, pla- the noblest place you could go to in your heart, in your mind, for your practice. So it was helpful to remind myself many times of this. I made myself a, um, a little sticker that I put on, on in my room, and I used to even carry it with me and put it in one of my favorite walking, uh, uh, walking rooms at the Forest Refuge, and I'd put it down at the end of one of the, um, one of the window sills. So I would just remind myself. And at that month I wrote, because I, I kept um, comparing myself to other times and comparing myself to other people that were practicing there. There were other teachers there. One time there was Mark and I practicing there. And I remember Wynne was there too. We often practice at this place together. So I had written, this unfolding process is happening in its own natural way and has its own pace and uniqueness. Because I, I just was kind of rushing myself. And karma's unfolding in its own way, in its own powerful way, and I just can't get in the way of that. So I really had to remind myself over and over again. And then I would read that, you know, at the end of my walk. Because I, I would time myself, I'm going to walk this long, I'm going to sit this long. And sometimes I just couldn't reach that. I, you do have to have some self-discipline in that, uh, in your practice. So all I had to do was show up, apply balanced effort, and that gentle, persevering effort. And then it was possible to really know that this unfolding process is happening in its own natural way in its own pace, in its own uniqueness for this body and mind continuum. So actually, uh, in, in, in addition to enduring, ha- allowing us to have this enduring quality, one of the stri- things that we see is that it's the antidote to striving, which is something that all of us have in the West, you know, not everybody, but and I shouldn't say all of us, but it's kind of like we're striving, we're trying too hard. And now one of the um, beautiful instructions that we get from one of our teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, the first thing that he says in his instruction is to relax, just to relax. And so that patience really helps us to relax into that uniqueness of who we are and not try to rush things. All the hidden defilements or the hidden hindrances come out because of striving. Because what is striving? Striving for anything in our lives. In, in a way, striving is good, but we're talking about that energy that's really too much. The, the energy that really kind of puts us not on a, um, not on a balance, in a balanced place, but in a place where we really can't see that we have attachment to some result in our practice or attachment to some result in our lives. Yes, we can have goals and, and aspirations, but when there's holding on too tightly to how we want it to be, that's when we begin to suffer and we, we're striving too much. So we either have attachment to the results, we want it right away, or we have 
aversion because it isn't going as easily as we want it to go. We have comparing mind, so we compare it mostly. For me, I compare it to how it was in the past. And I'm getting older now, so it's not you know, the same. I don't have the same kind of energy that I did before. So kind of have to lower my standards in a way. And actually that helps me to relax. So we don't have this disappointment in ourselves, disappointment in our, in our lives. So it's better, um, one of, I heard along the way, I think it's Swami Satchinanda who said, no appointment, no disappointment, right? <laughs> so self-judging, and um, one yogi came to me actually when I was teaching there at the Forest Refuge and said, I have this great thing that Achan Chah said, and this is a teacher of Jack Cornfield. He said, patience is a supreme incinerator because you drop all the defilements in there and they just burn up, you know, in that incinerator of patience. And I loved that, um, that vision of it burning that karma away. So have you ever noticed that there's no joy when there's striving? There's just no joy in your practice. You don't love it. You don't, you're not happy. You're not contented. But when there's patience, you can just kind of bop along. You can do what you need to do. I remember a time when I was practicing in Burma, and it was the first time I ordained as a nun. And I was in my 50s already, and it wasn't easy, you know, wearing those layers of robes with them um, in the hot weather there. We wore, what we wore is um, a blouse that was kind of had that little tiny collar up here, you know, and then long sleeves. And then uh, a s- under that would be a, s- a skirt, usually polyester, like you're wearing plastic, you know, a wraparound polyester. Then you'd have an inner robe that goes on top of that, and you'd, then you'd have an outer robe um, with, that you can use when you would use when you were out out in public. The inner robe you you could use just when you were in your room, and then you'd have the the sash here that kind of uh, designated for us as nuns that we were daughters of the Buddha. So, but it, it was so hot, you know. I actually, literally. I sweated my butt off when I <laughs> literally, I mean, <laughs> all the walking practice and the sitting practice, you know, on the hot seat and everything. And so it, it was just so, such a, a difficult experience at times. But so then I learned to just stop trying to try so hard to be a nun or to be practicing. And I just really just took my time took my time doing this and doing that and uh, general activities and doing my walking practice. And I remember, um, this is about joy, I remember one time, it was early morning, you know, we'd go to, um, we'd go to the hall at 3 o'clock in the morning, we'd have to start walking at 3.30, we'd start sitting at 4.30, we'd go to the dining hall by 5.15, We'd have our breakfast, and it wouldn't even be, it, the sun would just be coming up, and then we'd go back to our rooms. And that was the time I'd wash my robes, and then I'd hang them. And I remember this time just plodding along in the practice, just feeling really patient, 
feeling pretty contented with life and knowing that I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, just being mindful and wisdom opening all the time with that mindfulness. And I just remember hanging my clothes, my, my robe up on the, on the clothesline and then looking out, just mindfully seeing, seeing the sun coming up. And that was by far the happiest moment of my life. And I still remember that. Whenever I remember happiness, that, that's the time I look back to. And it was just with this clothesline in front of me and my dripping robes and the sun coming up and just you no know, movement, putting my robes over and putting the clothespins on them. And it all came from that patient, enduring, gentle, persevering effort that was happening. Nothing else really. I mean, lots of things. It wasn't really blissful, but it was really happy in that kind of bliss. And so from that happiness, they say that that kind of joy, not exuberant joy, but that kind of joy is a precursor for strong concentration to arise. And so then th- I saw that, yeah, that, was, that could happen during that time. <clears throat> so when there's some measure of patience, it allows us to be with whatever's happening and there's a possibility for that inner sense of real contentedness in one's life, when that contentedness, when you're not wanting something different and you're not pushing away because whatever is there is unpleasant for you. It's just, they say in, I don't know about other Asian countries, but in Burma they say that actually contentment is the highest happiness. Peace is a lot higher than that, actually, but contentment is a pretty high happiness. So there's that inner joy that nourishes our practice while striving really makes us unhappy. So um, I kept saying that, you know, it's unfolding in its lawful way at its own natural pace and it really helped me to keep going. Along the way, I came across this beautiful saying by one of the Tibetan lamas, Venerable Lama Gendon Rinpoche. And as Manindra would always say, you can learn from every side. And so um, I picked up this free and easy, spontaneous Vajra song. And I want to read a little bit of it to you because it speaks a lot to this happiness that, that we need in our practice. Patience leads to that happiness. So I'm reading just a few of the... Um, the lines here. It's a longer one, but I won't read it all. Happiness and peace cannot be found through great effort and willpower, but is already possible in open relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do or undo. Whatsoever momentarily arises in the body and the mind has no lasting reality whatsoever. Far better to let the entire game happen on its own, springing up and falling back, springing up and falling back like waves without changing or manipulating anything at all. And notice how everything vanishes and reappears magically (coughs) again and again, time without end. 
Our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It's like a vivid rainbow which you pursue without ever catching it. Wanting to grasp the ungraspable, you exhaust yourself in vain. Nothing to do, nothing to undo, nothing to force, nothing to want, nothing missing. So that, those are the inner, actually um, very spontaneous ex- experiences that come to us when it's like that with our practice. So it was interesting to learn that during the time of the Buddha, he laid down a lot of rules for jo- those who joined the, the monasteries, the monks and the nuns and also the lay people who would come to practice, the women and the men and the children also. But there was uh, one rule that he began with and that became uh, one of the rules throughout, and that was patience. That was the first rule. So later, as, as more you know, uh, men and women joined, they became nuns or bhikkhus, monks. Um, there were rules made to kind of support the practice because he could see that, oh, this kind of happens and so maybe we need to have some guidance around that. So in the end, there were 227 rules of conduct that still remain today. But the, the most important one is patience. Patience. So I want to tell this story about um, a young boy who went to uh, Japan to a school of a famous martial artist. I found this story in the sports section of the Honolulu Advertiser. It's, it's interesting, you know, the, the kinds of stories we find in, in, um, in Hawaiian newspapers because there's, there's so many people there. who It used to be the, the state, uh, the only Buddhist state. Now, I, that was a long time ago. I don't know now. But we have so many uh, people who are Buddhists there. So... It's easy to talk about like a boy going to a Buddhist uh, school where he was learning from a famous martial artist. And so when he got there, he arrived at the dojo and was given an audience by the teacher, the sensei. And he said, I wish to be your student and become the finest uh, student, the finest karateka in all the land. And so he asked the sensei, how long must I study? And the teacher said, 10 years. And so the boy said, but what if I study twice as hard as all your other students? And the master said, 20 years. <laughs> and so then he, he again, he said, 20 years? What if I practice day and night with all my effort? And the sensei said, then it will take 30 years. And so the boy said, how is it that each time I say I will work harder, you tell me that it will take longer? And so the teacher said, the answer is clear. When one eye is fixed upon your destination, there is only one eye left with which to find the way. So not really present, right? When it's like that, not really present. So we learn it doesn't help to rush. Something as precious and important as the development of deep peace, the development of liberating insight. This is not something to rush. 
it's really a, a we really have this precious opportunity to do that. So a full and complete presence gives us more clarity, a far-reaching and a wider view to find the way, to be able to respond skillfully to whatever surprises or obstacles come up in our practice. So in my early years, uh, there was a lot of hunger for the Dhamma, a combination of spiritual urgency and a good bit of impatience too. And so... I, I was told a few times that this was Dharma greed, you know. I just wanted more than I could really naturally get in the moment. You know, when you want to read all those books or you're, you're thinking about taking all those courses, and of course we, we can do that, but sometimes it's like doing too much, taking too much, more than we can actually um, sift in in a natural way to our minds and hearts. So I heard this um, saying by Suzuki Roshi that when it's when your practice is rather greedy that you become discouraged with it. So it's kind of something to watch out for, you know, when we have this Dharma greed, because uh, it might be the precursor to discouragement or taking on too much. So I remember telling Manindra um, one time, one of the various times when I would go to him and say, it's too much, it's too hard, I can't do this. And I, I went to my teachers different times and said, I'm going home. I just want to go home. I can't take it anymore. And this is natural for us on the Dharma path. And so one time, um, you know, there was something really small that was bothering me. It was like one of those huge crises where... Um, I don't know, it could have been a time when I just thought, oh, my little daughter needs me, needs me at home. And it became a huge crisis for me. One particular time I'm remembering now, at this moment, when um, my daughter would come and visit me to where I would practice in Maui. There was this place called Akahi Farm. And she would come every once in a while to um, put a flower on my doorstep. And so, you know, it was close to home, so her dad would bring her over and she'd put a flower on the doorstep or something. And this time, she just put something a little special. And she just put this little note in her four-year-old writing, said, Mommy, I miss you, you know. So I just thought, I got to go home, (laughs) you know. This is, uh, I got to go home. I mean, she must be really suffering for that. So I just made it my whole excuse, right, to do it. And so it became a crisis for me. And I went to Manindra, and Manindra just said, I told him this story, and he said, oh, yogi mind. It's just yogi mind. And I I thought, what's yogi mind? So, you know, it's just when you you get in a snit about something, and it makes something bigger than it is. And I love uh, Steve Armstrong. He he had this um, description, definition of yogi mind. He says, the magnification of the insignificant to a crisis stage. <laughs> and we do that with our lives too, right? So, so it's something that we really have to take a look at in ourselves. Along the way, um, we really have to just know we take this next step, we take this next breath, and this is what we bring to the pure patience to it, with it. <clears throat> 
So someone asked His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, in, in an interview, have you made progress in your practice? This is not a good word in the Dhamma, progress. <laughs> in fact, there's this whole thing about the progress of insight. You know, It's a very bad word. I like to name it the process of insight because the process has, it actually is different for each person. And it doesn't follow those exact um, stages that they talk about all the time. Sometimes you, you skip one really fast or you go through one a lot longer and sometimes you kind of redo and go backwards and then you go come back up again. And so it really goes differently for everybody. So the process of insight. Anyway, they asked him, have you made progress? And he responded somewhat like this. And I'm just paraphrasing him now. He said, one year, cannot see much in one year. Five years, little. (laughs) Ten years, some. Twenty years, yes. So I I heard that and I thought, well, who am I? You know, uh, am I supposed to do like in in five years, I'm supposed to reach the ultimate or something? it could take lifetimes, really. So this one I love by Rilke. Be patient towards all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers that cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them at that time. And the point is to live everything and just live the questions now. Because someday, some perhaps, you will gradually, without noticing it, live along into the answer. That says patience. So why did the Buddha say it was the highest virtue? Because we discover so many other qualities that are activated by it. Equanimity is one where we have that non-reactive experience and that feeling of balance. And it's the ability to rest the mind before it falls into extremes. This is equanimity. Before it falls into attachment or aversion, we can pause and see what the, um, what's happening in the moment. With equanimity, we don't have to just do something right away. It's a kind of constancy where... There are short moments many times. So we've heard it in the Zen tradition and the Dzogchen tradition, things like it's short moments many times. Forgetting about the notion of progress. It's really short moments many times. So one can see that it's really an open-ended journey. It's not just like we're going to get to some goal in, in our sitting or in our lives. It's a long journey. We're learning something along the way, all the time. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.